Hi, my name is Eric Pagley here in the Rocket FM studios in Stockholm, Sweden. I'm joined on the phone line by Mark Vandenbosch, and together we're the co-hosts of this new podcast, Corona Crisis, Once Upon a Pandemic. In a few minutes, we'll be hearing from Fredrik Benander, associate professor at the Swedish Defense University and the director of the Center for Societal Security. Fredrik's an expert on crisis management. He's also worked at the Swedish government offices, and he'll be providing an assessment of the situation in Sweden so far, and also share some of his thoughts on the big picture aspects of the coronavirus crisis. Hi, thanks for downloading this new podcast that we're launching here today in Stockholm, Sweden. My name is Eric Paglia, and on the phone line, practicing social distancing, we have co-host of this uh, new podcast, uh, Corona Crisis, Once Upon a Pandemic, Mark Vandenbosch. Mark, how's it going today? I'm doing pretty good, actually. I think I might add a little extra to the show today, because I might have the corona. Dry cough, then it's migrated to the chest. I'm really stuffed up, and I have a really sexy baritone now. But I think I'm uh, going upwards now towards better days. What a way to start a new podcast to give a little bit of a medical analysis of this person who you never heard of until today. But hey, that's that's all good. First of all, we're going to be developing and evolving this podcast. We're going to try to do an episode as often as possible and uh, try to keep up to date on what's going on with this uh, pandemic, which uh, I think it's safe to say that this is the biggest event of our lifetime. Biggest event in our lifetime and probably in our parents' lifetime as well. It's only been the last week or two that we've really been in this acute feeling where things really feel unreal. Although I have to say, I've been walking around in Stockholm a bit to the last few days and things don't seem that different. You're born in France. You speak French, which is going to be great to be able to give an, an update on things sure. happening in France. But it seems like things are, are developing very differently in different countries. And I think that's going to be a, one of the themes of this podcast is to um, look at the Swedish situation, but also compare with the Nordic neighbors, which are taking different approaches in some cases. Uh, France, Germany, the UK, which was doing this herd immunity strategy, which seems to be now off the table. The United States, where we both spent much of our lives. So I think it's going to be a very uh, good opportunity to compare in, in this times of crisis how different countries are handling this. I agree with you. And I think the interesting thing is, of course, that what's happening now will have long-term implications. Some of the strategies that Sweden has embraced, similar to England, are starting to you know, be in question considerably, both uh, externally, but also by the Swedish experts. One thing I wanted to bring uh, in this context here is, uh, you know, there's this uh, epidemiologist called Anders Tegnell here in Sweden, who's become sort of a local celebrity. And just a week ago, and I quote here from some of the things he said, is that uh, the peak probably, according to him, was going to be reached around the 6th of March. But then on the 8th of March, he, he did an edit on that. He said, I might be wrong. It might take a couple more days. But I think after March 10th or so, we'll see the numbers going down because we would have identified all the returning Swedes from Iran and Italy. And then we'll have this under control. Now, of course, Anders Tegnell says very different things today. It does seem like Sweden is not taking as drastic actions as some of the other countries. And I think that's interesting. And that'll be one of the themes that we'll be discussing here in the in the days and weeks ahead. No, but I, I agree with you. But I think there's a, a different parameters in play here. But the, the big word that they've been using in the Swedish media here is uh, herd immunity. And that's going to solve everything. And uh, I think they're starting to walk back on that a little bit now. But in terms of not taking drastic measures, I, I think the measures are getting more drastic every day. I, I think we're going to end up in the same situation that we've had in the rest of Europe, including France, where basically it's a total lockdown and people need uh, a permission slip to go out and walk their dogs to Italy, obviously, which has been well documented. So we're all ending in the same place, I think. And this crisis is going to expose a lot of things about society, about uh, human nature, about 
about culture yes. and yes. Uh, how we how we deal with these these very unusual circumstances, and that's one of the themes of this podcast. And you mentioned uh, experts earlier uh, there, Mark, and um, we're going to have, um, that's going to be one of the things that's going to be uh, helping us uh, make sense of this uh, crisis, is uh, bringing in various experts on various Thank God, aspects. because we're not experts. We don't really know. Actually, matter the experts themselves don't really know, but at least they have a better shot at getting close to the truth than we. Well, exactly, we and, uh, and and that's, uh, that's, that's a very good point, <laughs> is to what extent do you have faith in experts, right? And we of course, we have some faith in the experts that we're going to invite onto this program, but uh, the whole idea of expertise, who shall we listen to and, and act upon the advice of, that'll certainly be one of the uh, the themes of this podcast that, as I mentioned before, will evolve and develop as we continue to do uh, shows. Yeah, sorry, I keep interrupting you, but it's because I also want to point out to our, to our listeners that you have a tremendous contact network and people in the field of crisis management and other aspects of the science that is related to this. So you'll, you'll be able to bring in a lot of external guests over the coming weeks. I've made a list. Most of them don't know that I'm going to ask them to be on this podcast, but I will be sending some emails and making some phone calls in, in the days and weeks ahead. And hopefully a lot of them will have the the time to discuss various aspects of the coronavirus crisis. On this podcast, Corona Crisis, a Once Upon a Pandemic that name, I think, also is indicative of what this show or this podcast hopes to achieve is to put this into a, into a wide historical context. And this is, I think, going to be a story that will be told. Oh, well, this have a huge impact on the current generation of kids. There's no question. They'll take this with them the rest of their lives. A story I often heard as a kid about the Spanish flu of 1918-1919, which actually took the life of my great-grandmother. Luckily for me, she had my grandmother right before she died. She was only 18 years old and when she had my grandmother and died soon afterwards. So uh, it, it certainly is one of these things will we'll reverberate. So we're trying to, trying to document, understand, make sense, and, uh, and share information about this uh, through our own opinions and observations, but also through the expert analysis and insights of the guests that we will be inviting onto this podcast. So the longer term issues, the broader global issues, this will certainly uh, already very much is putting uh, extreme pressure on a lot of the international institutions, the European Union, the United Nations, things like uh, stock markets. Uh, it's going to be putting uh, pressure on pretty much every aspect uh, of our life. And uh, we're going to try to make sense of that for you here on this podcast. It truly is all encompassing. But you've got actually your first interview. Yeah, we have a guest coming up now. Yeah, his name is uh, Fredrik Bonander. He is an associate professor at the uh, Swedish Defense University. He's also the director of the uh, Center for Societal Security. Fredrik being the director of that uh, that institute and a well-seasoned uh, uh, crisis management expert who's worked for the Swedish government at various times uh, and spent a lot of his uh, life uh, in academics working on crisis management. So we'll be talking to Fredrik in uh, just a moment here on the podcast, and he's going to share some of his insights about the Swedish system and uh, what's been uh, happening here in Sweden so far and maybe some of the longer-range issues, that, which we see as uh, one of the, the core dimensions of this podcast. Before we get to Frederick, did you have some observations about the things that have happened in the last 12 to 24 hours? Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. First, I mean, obviously, we know in the United States now, as of yesterday evening, uh, there were around 9,000 or so documented cases, which, of course, is only the top of the iceberg. And all this will translate, of course, in a lot of tragedies and people passing and their system over there is, is going to quickly become overwhelmed. So that's a growing situation. Uh, if you look at it also, I think in a 12-hour window yesterday in the United States, they had 2,300 documented confirmed cases. So just doing the math on this, and it's only because they're now starting to to test. They didn't have any testing available. Kits uh, was obviously a big problem there. That number is going to explode, and it's going to. We know that you know humans, uh, myself included, all we're fairly prone to panic when our own existence is being you know put into question to some extent. So that even though there's been already a lot of question things going in the United States, I think that's going to 
increase even more. And that's a little frightening, to be honest with you. But then there's some uh, some cool things happening, uh, apparently in the region of Veneto in northern Italy. That's the place where the whole thing basically exploded. It's a sort of ground zero for the Italian crisis. There, they actually had no cases of new coronavirus uh, detected yesterday. So apparently some of these draconian measures that are being implemented, it is starting to have an effect. But uh, I think in some of these other societies, obviously we're two, three weeks later here in Sweden and Italy, and America is even further in a much, much broader country. This will, will snowball quite a bit before it gets better. But then there's the other aspect, as you said, uh, there's so many things to look into this uh, human nature of people react to times of crisis, both the good and the bad. And I think that is being you know, demonstrated on a daily basis everywhere in the world. But some other things also happening in Europe that are interesting. So entrepreneurs are seeing this as also an opportunity. I read somewhere that in Italy, people are renting out their dogs because if you have a dog, you're allowed to leave your home and walk the dog. So these mm-hmm. entrepreneurial young Italians are going out and, and for 20 bucks an hour, you can 20 get bucks a dog. an hour. Yeah, 20 bucks an hour. And what does that say? I mean, on some level, the interesting aspect of this also from a human nature perspective is both the people renting out the dogs, you can have opinions about that, but it's also the people willing to pay to break yeah. curfew. What does it say about them? Well, a little bit of fresh, so fresh air. I mean, I tell you what, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the fresh air while I can. I, I just went on a long walk this morning because who knows if uh, Sweden isn't going to shut down and uh, we'll be... Uh, well, I've been we, in we, shutdown for... I've been in shutdown for a week. I can tell you I'm getting a little stir-crazy here. So I well, hope it's good to hear that there's still life out there. I can't tell from here. We'll soon be renting, we'll soon be renting dogs. I mean, it's kind of ironic, of course, because <laughs> people pay big money to uh, to have other people take care of their dogs under normal circumstances with these dog daycares, which cost about uh, 500 bucks a month to have somebody take care of your dog. And now you're going to be mm-hmm. begging people to, to borrow their dogs and pay them 20 bucks an hour. But anyway, let's let the expert give his take. So, yeah, without further ado, go over to that now. Uh, Frederick Bonander, Associate Professor at the Swedish Defense University in Stockholm and uh, the Director of the Center for Societal Security here on the podcast, Corona Crisis, Once Upon a Pandemic. All right, so we're recording this here on the 18th of March, Wednesday at uh, quarter past 10, together with uh, Frederick Bonander, Associate Professor at the Swedish Defense University and the Director of the Center for Societal Security. Frederick, thanks for joining us here on this podcast. Good to be here. Okay, so Frederick, given your background in crisis management, you've worked in the government offices, you have uh, many years of experience on crisis management and uh, the Swedish system. Um, can you perhaps give us your assessment of the situation on the coronavirus crisis uh, as of right now? I think that a lot of governments are very surprised how fast this went, how a virus that didn't seem like a huge threat to begin with when we saw it entering um, in Wuhan in China. It is now becoming a huge problem, and it's more of a societal problem. It's an epidemic sort of issue that is going far beyond healthcare and the sectors that you usually connect with contagions like these. Another thing is that cooperation between countries have proven to be difficult. And it's been quite disappointing how many countries have cooperated around this, especially in the European Union. So I think there are numerous challenges right now for governments. And I think that as economic issues are coming to the forefront and governments are doing all kinds of packages to save the economy, we have a crisis that is jumping back and forth between the disease control aspect of it, the economic aspect of it, and more and more we're going to be looking at sort of the functionality 
of society. How do we keep society open and operational? And it's going to be a huge challenge to sort of meld these different aspects of the crisis together. And we see a lot of the institutions are struggling with this greatly right now. I think it's very interesting here you mentioned about the societal aspects of this. I mean, what, what is the interface in, in the Swedish system? What is the interface between society in sort of broad terms and the government and sort of the internal functioning of the government with the different ministries and agencies? Is, there, is that a particular challenge here in the Swedish context, or do you think that's maybe a strength of a society like Sweden? I think it can be a strength. We have sort of a, a long tradition of compartmentalizing these issues, you know. The Swedish government is always ceding issues to the agencies and saying, you know, this is for the professionals to deal with. We're here if there is a need for extra resources or, you know, legislative resources that might be necessary. But basically, we are a government and an administration that is based on the agencies and the municipalities doing their thing. And now we're entering an area where compartmentalization is no longer possible. We have to start looking at the comprehensive threat analysis and how we pull our different resources together to do something about this. And I think one of the the biggest challenges for the Swedish government is that they don't have very developed tools to do public-private issues when it comes to problems like the coronavirus. And that's another thing. I mean, we have a lot of private health care. We have private interests coming into a lot of this, these different sectors. But, you know, controlling those and making them pull in the same direction is going to be a very difficult task for, you know, the public actors that are now trying to gain control of the response to the coronavirus crisis. I mean, who are those? Who are those actors? I mean, you've done a lot of research on leadership, and here in the Swedish system, I mean, of course, uh, the the prime minister is is very much in focus, as are some of the other um, key government ministers. Where do these decisions take place, and and how do they become implemented? Considering these these, um, I don't know if you want to call them gaps between the the, the political leadership and the, these very powerful agencies. How does that um, how does that transpire here in the Swedish context, Frederick? Yeah, I think you can see in a lot of the crisis management literature that in large events like this, you would predict centralization uh, of decision-making processes and mandates and so forth. And I, I think we can see that here as well. The system here in Sweden is pretty much designed to avoid uh, rapid and exaggerated centralization of decision-making so that decisions are made close to where the problems are. Obviously, when you get into a situation where the entire country is becoming engulfed in this and the resources are too scarce and will have to be distributed with a national perspective, you have to centralize at some point. And I think right now, I mean, we've seen where the government would let the disease control part of this be communicated and handled by the Swedish CDC the folk health of Mindehertan, and they are regaining control of some of these issues because it has to be put in a wider context, and the sort of measures that are being taken in disease control is going to have an impact on the rest of society. So we're at that point where ultimately the government is going to be responsible and the government is going to have to coordinate the response. But I think we can see that it has happened more slowly in Sweden than you would have expected from, you know, most uh, parliamentary systems with an administration roughly like ours. 
Now, what do you attribute that to? Is it something that caught the Swedish authorities off guard, or is it just something inherent in the Swedish system that is not predisposed to doing these these very um, rapid uh, responses? Well, I think that one of the factors that have caused the response that we've had is that there's a lot of confidence in Swedish disease control in identifying and tracking contagion, isolating cases. This is something that I think that the Swedish health sector has a lot of pride in being able to do. And all the scares we've had, whether it's the swine flu, we've had one case of Ebola years back, you know, this is where we invested our resources in being able to contain the contagion. And I think that for a long time, when we have these imported cases, mostly from Italy and, and Iran, that was the strategy. And they were a little bit caught off guard having these domestic cases and, you know, having to realize that there is now a domestic spread in society and there's probably not much you can do about it. So changing tack there was pretty difficult for them as they had invested so much in controlling the contagion. On the other hand, I also think that Swedish disease control experts would argue that there are some uh, pros in the situation here in Sweden where you do have some natural barriers for disease control, I would think. It's cultural. It is, you know, a time of year when you could expect a slower spread of the disease. I'm no epidemiologist, but I've heard a number of these factors that would indicate that the spread would be slower here than in northern Italy, for example. So I think these are all parts of the reasons why we've seen the unique response, and some would say the slow response in terms of draconic measures, you know, in the Swedish setting. My, my understanding of, of Sweden in terms of its uh, culture, if you want to say that, is it's this real reverence for expertise and, and listening to what the experts say. And, and of course, also trust in, in the political system traditionally, maybe not as much these days as it once was. But um, in terms of listening to experts, I mean, how does how do the, the Swedish decision makers take in this expert advice and, and weigh that against some of their own political instincts? Yeah, I think that's uh, sort of one of the core issues here. How is expertise seen and respected and followed? And I think if we want to look at it from a societal perspective, Sweden is obviously sort of a high-trust society. So if you know what you're doing, it's really easy to govern a society like the Swedish one. People will do what you tell them to do mostly, and they will have a lot of respect for authorities and expertise and science and so forth. Obviously, I think when the political elites are looking at what is going on, there's this division of responsibility kind of mindset. So as long as we let the experts do what they're good at, this is probably going to work out. So that's sort of an instinct that is appreciated by the political system. You know, you can do that here. You don't have to show that you as a political leader takes control on day one. On the other hand, every Swedish politician knows that if the response is screwed up, they're going to be the ones to get all of the blame. So there's this balancing act that you have to conduct here if you're a Swedish political leader. And I think that they have been quite slow to actually take control of the narrative of what this situation is about. They've been very sort of in the back seat in terms of letting the disease control people talk about, you know, the problem at hand. And they have been towing a lot of these problems down. They haven't been bringing out 
scenarios that we might have to deal with down the road. So it's been a difficult situation, I think, for a lot of politicians. So it would be fine if these experts are right, but they know that they will be in a world of trouble if they're wrong. And there will be all kinds of questions of why didn't you step in more forcefully, you know, make these people look at the tougher scenarios that might be out there. And this, you know, is troublesome for them. And I, I, I can see them now trying to get ahead of the curve, but it's it's kind of hard. And it's also about talking to the expert agencies about how do we communicate? Because obviously, in closed-door settings, they are discussing these scenarios, but you have to start communicating with the public about what, you know, we might be looking at and what kind of measures that would be uh, appropriate if some of these scenarios would come true. You mentioned, uh, use the phrase down the road, looking look a little further down in this in this uh, crisis, which we don't know if we're at the very beginning of or if we're in the middle of or, or where we actually are in this in this crisis. This could go on for weeks, months, who knows, right? But uh, when you start talking about down the road, um, what do you see as the longer term implications of this as, as we understand it so far, of course, uh, just 18th of March, we don't know what things are going to be like in a week from now or, or six months from now. But what do you see as, as some of the, the longer term issues that this crisis, which seems to be, I mean, in, in probably in our lifetimes, maybe the most uh, comprehensive crisis that we've ever experienced. Uh, what do you see as being some of the longer term issues that uh, we can we can start to think about now? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think, you know, we're going to live with this for a long, long time. It's going to change politics. It's going to change how government's budgets look like. It's going to change how much of our resources we put into health care. But I think also this is going to have geopolitical consequences. We're now looking at the European Union basically failing to put up a common response to this threat. One of the things that we really invested politically, financially into Brussels and the European Union, it's failing to do. The member states are bickering about stuff all the time, not adhering to the sort of mechanisms that would be an EU asset here. We have Italy calling for help with their situation uh, a week back and not getting one offer from another member state. I, I think we can see a number of very troubling issues that we're going to have to deal with down the road. And I think one of them is how do we politically talk about what is going on here? We're going to still live with this virus. It's going to come back in a second or a third wave unless we get a really effective vaccine within a year and a half or so, you know, this is still going to be on the horizon. This is still going to threaten to come back and, you know, paralyze parts of society again. So there are so many issues that goes into this. And, you know, we also can be thinking about sort of the legitimacy of a lot of these governments that have provided a response that will not be enough in some aspects. How do you regain that legitimacy? How does elections across Europe and the Western world play out on the road? Will the sort of coronavirus response be one of the biggest narratives in terms of, you know, what is government for even? You know, some of these very basic democratic issues is going to be affected by how governments handled this situation. And uh, 
I have to say, I'm a little bit pessimistic. It's not going to, you know, we will probably see some mobilization of democratic forces in terms of how do we improve the way that uh, the state sort of deal with these kinds of threats. But it looks to me right now like some of the authoritarian states are actually coming out of this looking pretty good. You know, we have China helping out Italy right now. And, you know, there's this propaganda side to the response to the virus that is troubling and that is something that we're going to have to live with for a very long time as well. Uh, it's fascinating. You're absolutely right. There's going to be many uh, geopolitical implications of this uh, crisis. Now, these longer term issues, these down the road issues, do those wait until we get down the road or do you start thinking and acting upon some of these issues now, soon? When do you sort of go, when do you transition from the acute phase to the, the longer term phase? Do they happen in parallel or are they just sort of sequential? I think they have to happen in parallel. And because some other actors are doing it and markets are changing, if you don't start planning for what comes after, you know, the big surge that is going on now and trying to protect society from uh, the contagion, you have to start dealing with the longer term issues as well. Not the least because some other actors are already doing it. We see that China is using this both to criticize other countries, including Sweden. They're also using it to promote their own system of government. And if that is going on, as some of these uh, other governments, the Western governments we're talking about, have to be able to deal with these issues. Uh, And we're not doing very well right now. And we're probably not going to sort of turn the narrative around until we start seeing the numbers go down, number of cases in intensive care and so forth. I mean, this is going to eat up most of the attention in the media market for a time to come. But we have to have sort of measures in place for when attention starts turning to other issues and the longer term issues and the legitimacy issues. So I think this is crucial. And this is something that has to go on on a day to day basis right now in some of these government offices. And I think in the position that you're in, Frederick, you're going to be uh, very much involved with some of these, uh, some of this thinking will go into sort of dealing with the longer term in parallel with the shorter term management issues of this very comprehensive crisis. So Frederick Benander, Associate Professor at the Swedish Defense University and the Director of the Center for Societal Security, thank you very much for joining us here today. It's been a really informative first interview for this podcast. Thanks, Eric.